0: In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series. Life, the Islamic Answer, where we are still exploring the first theme in this series, which is the theme of knowledge, or we can consider it intellectual formation of the Muslim in Islam. As you will remember, um, we had reached a point where we were discussing what it takes for knowledge to be Islamic. And we said that in Islam, it is not so much the type of information, the type of data that makes the knowledge Islamic or not, it is two conditions. It is not that it does not matter which, what type or what subject matter or what type of information we acquire. It does matter and inshallah we will get to that. But what matters much more are these two conditions that will determine to a much larger extent whether the knowledge that we are acquiring is actually Islamic or not. Does it meet the criteria for being Islamic or not? And those two conditions are that it is acquired with the right intent, with right intentions. And we That's the niyyah, the discussion that we had on ikhlas, sincerity and niyyah. And Secondly, that we must act on the knowledge that we have. And this is what we called transformational knowledge, and this is this part of the series that we have started a few uh, lectures ago. Within this discussion about action and knowledge leading to action as a condition for it to be Islamic, we said that before we jump into being a learner, which will be the first action that we want to take, there are a few premises, there are a few introductory points that we want to ensure that we understand very well. We are done with those. And now we are about to begin embarking on this journey of action. Our focus in this theme, as we said, was knowledge. And there's a reason why we began speaking about Islam from knowledge. The first action, the first step we want to take, the first concrete action a Muslim takes is to become a learner. And now we are now at the stage of discussing, exploring, studying what it means to be a learner in Islam. The last time we met, we began talking about one of the reasons why we must seek knowledge. So in other words, why we must become learners. But we didn't call it that. We were answering another question, but so that we don't repeat anything that we said there, our entire discussion about the necessity of acquiring knowledge before we act. That means that the necessity of becoming a learner, of seeking knowledge, is ingrained, is structurally part of action in Islam. Before I act, I must have secured the knowledge to act appropriately. Okay, And we looked at it from different angles. In itself, this is a command, this is a teaching in our religion. And on the negative side, the negative way of presenting it is, we also saw the issues of not doing so. And we saw the different images that our religion uses. Some of the teachings, you know, the donkey of the mill, for instance, that we talked about. Or we saw, for instance, how someone who acts without knowledge, without understanding their religion, they are probably being more counterproductive. They are destroying more than they are building. They are like the person who is traveling to a destination, but they're walking away from the road. And so it will only lead to further and further misguidance and so on and so forth. These were the images that we saw. All of that in conclusion to say, before I act, I need to know what I'm doing. I need to acquire the knowledge so that I'm acting appropriately. So this is where we stopped the last time and inshallah today, we continue where we left off from that point on. So today we want to continue by starting officially talking about the importance or the necessity of being a learner in Islam. When we began the series, when we began the theme of knowledge, we discussed this topic a little bit from the point of view of saying the importance of knowledge and the importance of reason in Islam. Now we're focusing on the necessity of being a learner. Okay, so there might be a little bit of an overlap for those who were in attendance right from the beginning. Yes, there will be a little bit of an overlap and then we continue, inshallah, today we'll see how far we can get uh, with this topic. We'll get perhaps into some of the ingredients, not all, but some highlights from the ingredients of being a good learner in Islam. What are some of the things that are mentioned? Okay, so... Yeah, one perhaps uh, of the conclusions from last time that we didn't really spend too much time on. And inshallah, we're going to get to it much later in the series, still within the theme of knowledge. But this insistence we have of knowledge, and now we're saying the importance or the necessity of beginning your journey in Islam as a learner in this religion there's different ways of approaching this and explaining its importance. One is to simply say, this is what our our religion teaches. Another, to be more practical, is look at the history of Islam. And we would say that a very large portion of the issues in the history of Islam actually began by not following this notion, by not having the people with the right knowledge in the right place. And you have people either with no knowledge or with superficial knowledge who were hailed into positions that they were not worthy of, suddenly becoming leaders and leading people, we consider it astray, away from the true teachings of Islam. And in many, many ways in today's world, this is the same problem that perpetuates itself. Those who have knowledge... They're kind of nowhere to be seen on the landscape. And those who have superficial knowledge or no knowledge or distorted knowledge of Islam are the ones who have become the official brand and the official representatives of Islam. Okay, And so we are really trying to go to the core of a lot of issues. Individually, yes, we are trying to, as we said, rewire ourselves as Islam would want us to. If Islam were being revealed now, How would we go about learning it, becoming good Muslims? And when we look at the state of the world today and how we want to live in this world as Muslims, we see that a lot of the issues bring us back to the same root cause, which is a lack of knowledge and a lack of those who have knowledge to be present in the public sphere and to act really according to the teachings of our religion. So inshallah, that point is clear and I expect you to to make those linkages yourselves, but I'm just highlighting it because I didn't mention it at all the last time that um, we met. So let's begin with, inshallah, this first part where, as we said, we're focusing on really establishing the necessity in our religion of being learners, of becoming, if we are not already, of becoming learners, and inshallah, we're going to keep talking about what that really means because we're going to look at it from different angles. Okay, the first hadith we have from the Holy Prophet He says, أطلب العلم ولو فإن طلب العلم فريضة Seek knowledge even if it is in China or if it were in China. For the seeking of knowledge is compulsory upon every Muslim. So of course you have to put yourself, whenever you read one of these traditions or hear about them, you have to put yourself in the skin and the shoes of what was happening at that time. When the Holy Prophet is talking about China 14 centuries ago, he's not really talking about China. He is basically saying this is how far you have to be willing to go to acquire knowledge, right? And so if we were to use Today's standards, of course, we would not be talking about China. The image and the metaphor that the Holy Prophet is using has to be clear in that sense. The second point, I think, related to this hadith, and I think it's very important, the Holy Prophet is not putting any boundaries here. He's not putting any limitations. He's saying, seek knowledge. Basically, no matter where it is, go seek it. And there does not seem to be a point where he says, and after that point, you no longer have to seek it anymore. And this may be something that is sometimes tough for some of us to hear. We may think, okay, I have enough knowledge. This is enough. This is all I need. I have the minimum that I require and I can move on to other things. If we really understand and we're going to go through a number of these ahadith today, we're really trying to establish this importance of becoming a seeker of knowledge. This becomes our nature. This becomes our general attitude that I am always seeking knowledge. There's no end to this. And I will add, inshallah, when we get to when we talk about the one who carries the knowledge, the alim, as we will have in the the traditions and the narrations, the scholar, you would expect the scholar to be the one who now has the knowledge and he's sharing it. Okay, but this person is also seeking knowledge. This journey does not end for them, okay? And this is very clearly established in our religion. So that's the second point. I think the third very important point, and hopefully this is not new to anyone who is in our religion, is that this is one of the traditions or one of the narrations that clearly establish the universality of seeking knowledge in Islam. Here the Holy Prophet is not saying when you are young, seek knowledge, but don't when you are old. Or when you are wealthy enough, but not when you are poor. Or when you are healthy, but not sick. Or if you're a man, but not a woman. And so on and so forth. He says, اطلب ilm in general. If you are a Muslim, this is going to be a command that applies to you. Seek knowledge. There's no limitation here. Okay the only limitations are the other teachings in Islam do you have other duties that have to take priority are you responsible for a family and you have you know children that need you to go work and make money so that you can feed them yes that's a duty that's going to trump at that very moment seek knowledge okay of course those kinds of duties are going to trump you have to balance and you have to see what works when everything has to be appropriately judged but generally speaking in our religion The duty to seek knowledge does not end. It's universal. Okay? So inshallah, this point is clear. And I think simply saying, you are a follower, and that's hopefully where we're headed. That will be the conclusion of this part, is that we have to be able to say, if you are a follower of this religion, then you are a seeker of knowledge. If you are a follower of Muhammad, you are a seeker of knowledge. That's the conclusion we want to reach. And this is exactly what we see from these types of a hadith, very clearly from the Holy Prophet. He's saying, seek knowledge, okay, with all of the other details around it. But the bottom line is, seek knowledge. From Imam al alayhi salam, the next hadith, riḍa an-Aba'ihi alayhi salam, an-Amir al-Mu'mineen, qal, sami'tu رسول Allah, yaqul. So Imam al is reporting from Imam Ali alayhi salam, who's reporting from the Holy Prophet. يقول, so in case the previous hadith had some ambiguity around it, this hadith is much clearer. The seeking of knowledge is incumbent, is obligatory upon every Muslim, male and female. على كل wa مسلم, Then he adds فطلب العلم من من أهله this is part of a longer tradition, but this is the part that is relevant to us. He says, so seek knowledge from its appropriate sources, very important. And so if the source happens to be in China, as we saw in the other hadith, go seek it there. You have to find a way to get to that knowledge that you need. Seek it from its appropriate sources, from its real sources. waqtabisuhum And acquire it from its people. There are people who carry that knowledge find them seek them out and get that knowledge from them there's a this this term of ikhtabisu i've talked about it in the past it's very interesting when it's mentioned alqabas is what is when you take a piece of wood and you bring it close to a fire you can't take the fire but you can take a part of it with the piece of wood that you're carrying the branch that you're carrying for instance this is a qabas Okay, you can't find the exact same terminology. You extract something, but the main source remains in place. Okay, here the Holy Prophet says, وَقْتَبِسُوهُ Go take, go light a bit of your light, a bit of your fire from those who are carrying the knowledge. I want to keep that image in your minds. I don't want to talk about it now. I'm coming a little bit later to it when we talk about the scholars. Okay, so keep that uh, image in mind for now the next hadith very similar so these hadith all go together the next hadith talabul ilmi kulli muslimin ala inna yuhibbu al okay so the seeking of knowledge is an obligation upon every muslim so this is this part is the common part to all of the hadith we saw the previous now the previous one now talking about both male and female the one before that even if it's in china this one says, أَلَا Allah اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ al-'ilm." For God Almighty truly loves those who seek knowledge. And inshallah, we're going to talk a lot more about it when we're going to talk about the merits, the distinctions and the merits of those who seek knowledge in Islam. How much encouragement there is in our religion to learn and to seek knowledge. Okay, this is from Kitab Al-Kafi. The third hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, قَالَ so we may not look at it that way because the other hadith were focusing on other details at the end of the hadith. This one, Imam Ali salam, makes it very clear. He's saying the seeking of knowledge is an obligation of God's obligations. Right? That, that's if we wanted to do a literal translation. In English, we would simply say it is one of God's obligations. But in Arabic, you طلب العلم فريضة من فرائض الله. You know, Faridah alone would very clearly say this is something that is obligatory, it's something that's incumbent upon you. We should understand that. And we have that term in every hadith, right? Talabul Ilmi Faridah, Talabul Ilmi But in this case, this is the only point he's emphasizing. He's not adding any of the other details. He's saying make sure you understand this is one of the true obligations of the real ob- it's really an obligation to seek knowledge in Islam. The last hadith from Imam al-Sadiq He says, The seeking of knowledge is an obligation in every state. So it's very difficult for us to find an excuse, to find a pretext, to say, well, these circumstances don't allow me to, it better be a really good excuse. Because by default, unless it is something that you can really justify, you can really excuse yourself with, by default, in our religion, you should be seeking knowledge in all states. And so here, there's a whole discussion we can have. I'm just looking at the points very quickly. The only thing, perhaps, that I would add is the importance of seeking the knowledge. The Arabic Wording is very clearly saying talab It's not saying, for instance, at taallum learning It's not saying at taallum farirah Learning is an obligation And I think that choice of wording is very important If you want knowledge, or in order to acquire knowledge You must go out of your way to seek it the only other term that comes to mind very quickly is talab rizq Right? When you seek sustenance. When you seek enough money to live off. Okay? It's in that sense. How do you go out of your way to make enough money so that you can live? You have to be ready to do the same thing with knowledge. And so the terminology or the use, the choice of words is the same. It doesn't say ta'allum faridah. Learning, for instance. You must learn. No. It says that you go and seek the knowledge. You go after it. You look for it in order to acquire it. Talabul ilm The seeking of knowledge. And which brings us back to the whole discussion of the same term, Talabul. That's why it never says there's a point where it stops. Right? It's not acquiring knowledge. Because if it said acquiring knowledge... Is an obligation. It means that once you have acquired it, you've honored the obligation. I have it now, so I don't need to keep acquiring something that I have. Right? It says seeking. The seeking of the knowledge is an obligation in every state. Well, the seeking never stops. Right? There's no way to stop the seeking when there is no objective, there is no upper limit to the seeking. If the term had said, for instance, acquiring knowledge, once you have acquired it, you know, if I tell you, you have to get the apple, once you have the apple, that's it. The obligation is no longer there because you have the apple. But if it says you have to seek, the obligation is the seeking itself. Well, the seeking doesn't stop in this way. Right? There's no upper limit. You have to keep going always, all the time. Or in every state, as Imam al Sadiq says. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet he says, fa al-sabab wa, bayna azza wa Jal. In the same vein, but this one is a little bit different. Okay, the Holy Prophet is giving us a reason here. In the previous hadith, there is no reason given. It just says in this religion. One of the teachings, one of the obligations once you enter this religion is that you have to constantly seek knowledge in every state, no matter who you are, male or female, every hadith. In this hadith, the Holy Prophet says, seek knowledge, for it is the means between you and God Almighty. This is the bridge. This is a channel. You have to create a channel between you and God. The channel that you create is your knowledge. You have to have a connection with God. That connection is your knowledge. Yes, yeah. So in Arabic, it is ilm" sabab azawajal Seek knowledge, for it is the means between you and God Almighty. Okay, there's a means, there's a bridge, there's a tunnel, there's a channel. Call it whatever you want to connect. What is that made of? It's made of your own. Knowledge. The more you have, the better the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's it. There's nothing else to say here. In other words, the Holy Prophet saying, this is the reason why you exist. The reason why you exist is to create that link with Allah. And the Holy Prophet says, you do that by acquiring knowledge. The better quality of the knowledge, and we said what the two conditions are that make it better quality, right? Better intention And make it into action. Don't stop at the theory. Don't just compile and uh, assimilate and learn information. It has to translate into action. Do it with the right intention and make it into action. You've made it Islamic. The more you do that, the more that bridge, that connection is. And the better your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the whole point of your existence. So with this hadith, there's nothing else to say beyond. If we want it to stop, this is enough to spend a lot of time on, just to reflect on and see what does this mean for us, for our lives, and so on and so forth. Okay, but we're going to continue. So for these next ahadith, and some of them we've discussed in the past, but I'm bringing them back, and some of them are new. My question to you guys is, if Ahlul Bayt, alayhum the Holy Prophet, and Ahlul Bayt wanted to, to really highlight how important it is to seek knowledge. Could they have said anything more than what we find in these hadith? What else could they have said? To make you realize, to make me realize how important it is. Okay? So in the first hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi he says, لو okay so if people knew the merits of seeking knowledge, if they understood the distinctions that come with being a seeker of knowledge, they would seek it even if they had to give away their souls and ride the oceans. okay We've, we've gone through very similar hadith to these in the past. you remember ilmuhijah literally in Arabic, is the dark blood inside the heart. So the imam is saying, even if it meant in return for seeking that knowledge, you have to get, give away the blood of your heart. And, and so this is where we see this is a metaphor, or ride the waves of the oceans, which at that time was something dangerous. You're putting your life at risk. And he's saying, if they understood the merits of seeking knowledge, this is what they would do constantly, all the time, without any hesitation, because they understand its importance. But they don't, so they don't do anything, right? The next hadith: "أطلب ولو بخوض اللجج وشق المهج." Here we have التعلم. أطلب التعلم. Seek learning. Okay. Seek learning. If it means even if it means that you must ride the oceans and give away the souls. Abu Hamza Thamali, the very well-known companion of Imam sajjad alayhi salam. He says that Imam Sajjad told him, Law so if people knew the merits of seeking knowledge. Walaw wa so this part is the same, Imam Sajjad, السلام, as we have in Imam Sadiq and others, they would seek it even if they had to give away their souls and ride the waves of the oceans. Then the Imam continues. He says, In Allah Ta'ala Awha ila Daniel." Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala revealed to Daniel which is who is one of the prophets sent to previous peoples. He told him what? He revealed what to him? Inna The most despised of my servants to me. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is revealing this to his prophet. He tells him the one I hate the most from all of my servants is who? Al-Jahil. The foolish ignorant as we translated it, the fool or the ignorant. Al Mustahif Bihakrihl. The one who disdains or underappreciates the people of knowledge. Okay, we're gonna come back to those people of knowledge later. Okay, insha'Allah. But for the time being, this is someone who basically does not give any value to learning and to knowledge. So Allah says, "This is the servant of mine that I despise the most, that I hate the most. This is someone who disdains, who under appreciates, who undervalues those people who are the people of knowledge. What else? بهم, the one who does not follow in their footsteps. وَأَنَّ, وأن أَحَبَّ عِبَادِي and the one from amongst my servants who is the most beloved to me at the pious brings us always back to the topic of piety or safeguarding or being always mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is pious at-talibu lil al-jazil the one who seeks the great rewards al-lazimu lil ulama the one who clings to the scholars at hukama or in one version, لِلْحَلَمَاءَ So the one who follows in the footsteps of those who are forbearing or those who are wise, depending on the version, الْقَابِلُ عَنِ الْحُكَمَاءَ And who accepts from those who are wise. Okay, so we have a few descriptions here, but all of them amount to the same thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is recognizing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising, openly stating that from amongst all of his servants, from amongst all of his creatures, the one that he loves the most is the one who seeks knowledge, who seeks the scholars, and who follows in their footsteps, and who is pious. That's the intention. And the one he despises, the one he hates the most, is the one who does the opposite, who goes in the other direction. He undervalues, underappreciates knowledge and the people of knowledge. Okay? So who is the greatest instance of the people of knowledge, of course, the messengers and the prophets and so on and so forth. The next hadith from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, لَوَدَتْتُ أَنَّ أَصْحَابِي ضُرِبَتُ رُؤُوسُهُمْ بِالسِّيَاطِ Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, I wish that my companions would seek deep understanding even if their heads had to be whipped, had to be struck with whips. Okay, so there's a couple of things here. First of all, of course, this is a metaphor. Of course, this is an image. Again, a very strong image, I think. A very harsh and strong image. But I would say, all of us here for sure, we all claim or at least want to be the followers specifically of this Imam. We claim to be Ja'fariyya. We claim to be the followers of Imam sadiq salam This is one of his narrations. There are... Tens of these narrations from Imam sadiq alayhis We saw a few already, and there are many others. All of them in the same vein. All of them telling his followers, his companions, if you want to be associated to me, if you want to be one of my followers, then seek knowledge. And in this case, the Imam is not just saying it that way. He's saying, I wish your heads would be stuck with whips. Right? If that's what has to happen for you to seek knowledge, then that's what should happen. So long as at the end you are seeking knowledge and acquiring the knowledge. If you want to be my followers. If not, then you can leave. One day, inshallah, I I spoke a little bit about it in the past. And I wasn't planning to talk about it now, but the image came to mind. Because I think this if there is one trait for one imam that we should know, it's knowledge and its association with Imam al-Sadiq السلام, Imam al-Baqir and Imam al-Sadiq, our fifth and sixth imams. And that's why our whole madhab, our whole school of thought is named after him. The majority of our knowledge has come to us from him. We talked in the past about Adwan al-Basri. Right, We took a little part of the hadith, of the narration. We said Anwan al-Basri, if you remember the story, we said Anwan al-Basri is an old man who was living in Kufa at that time, and he was a student of Malik ibn Anas, the great scholar and the imam of al-Malikiyya, al-Maliki Madhab. And then he heard that Imam al-Sadiq came to Kufa. He actually didn't come to Kufa, he came to Hira. He was forced by Safah, the Khalifa of his time. He was brought by force from Medina to Kufa. And so when he came to Kufa, and and that goes back to the biography of Imam al-Sadiq salam, how the people would come to him. It was impossible to get to the Imam because his house was filled with people who wanted to learn from him and be around him and ask him questions and so on and so forth. It was very difficult to get to the Imam. And in addition to that, the Imam is under kind of a house arrest under a lot of scrutiny politically that's why he was brought so the imam can't speak openly and talk about everything he wants to and teach as he wants and so on and so forth he was brought to Hira in the outskirts of Kufa in Iraq. and so this man says I was dying to go see the grandson of the holy prophet I heard about him so I sought him out so initially when he went to seek the imam the imam kind of rejected him He dismissed him, assuming that the whole hadith, by the way, the hadith of Anwan al-Basri, there's even a debate about its authenticity. Okay, but this is all assuming that it is authentic. Because there are really, truly beautiful gems in that hadith. Okay, so he says, I went and I saw the imam. The imam was not really interested in, in meeting with him or teaching him anything. In fact, the imam told him, I'm a man who is under a lot of a strong watch, a lot of eyes, and I am in huge demand. Uh, and you are a student of Malik, so continue seeking knowledge from Malik. And he says, this did created a lot of anxiety and made me depressed. and So he left the Imam and he went and he cried and he begged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Imam, he prayed at the mosque and he was begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Imam would change his mind and would accept to meet with him and teach him something. And he says, one of the commitments that I made with God is that I would no longer sit under the pulpit and learn from Malik. Because now I have access to Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. Why am I going to someone else? And then when he came back to the imam and he sat at the door of the imam and he waited, there's a lot of lessons there to learn. Okay, he waited and he waited until one of those people who work in the house of the imam, he came out and he told him, what do you want? He told him, I want to simply salute the imam. And so he told him, okay, let me see. He went, he talked to the imam, he came back, and he said, you may enter. By the blessing of God, you may enter. So he went, and the imam had a short discussion with him. He told him, I'm a man, the imam told him, I'm a man who has awrad. I have a lot of acts of worship that I want to do, and you're coming in the wrong time. You're preventing me from doing my acts of worship. But there's this insistence from you that you, you really want to come, and you want to talk to me, so what is it that you want? And they have the short discussion. And inshallah, one day we'll talk a little bit more about it. It's really worth going through the hadith of Anwan al-Basri. It's not that long, but it has a lot of you know, main important points and highlights that deserve to be discussed. But in any case, here there is, I think, sometimes, oftentimes, this is not mentioned. Because you read it in passing. You don't notice this detail that the man himself is saying, I was not a student of Imam al-Sadiq. I was a student of Malik. And then, when at some point, he committed himself to say, no, this is where I'm going to take the truth from now. I know this is where the truth is, so why am I still seeking the truth elsewhere? And the Imam accepted him now because the first time he met with him, he told him go continue taking your knowledge from someone else don't you consider that person the source of knowledge why are you coming to me Okay so I think this is an important point and the reason it came to my mind as I'm talking is this is the same imam with that story who is saying I wish that my companions my followers would seek knowledge if even if it means that their heads would be struck by the whips right so this is to really highlight this point. This is an important trait. And it adds, I think, a lot more importance to it for us because we want to be associated that way with this Imam specifically. We want to be Ja'fariyah. We want to be the followers of Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq. Right? The next hadith also from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. There's a couple here. The first one, he says, So, we said this word fiqh, I usually translate it as deep understanding or deep knowledge. Okay, it's to go to the bottom of something in your knowledge. So, he says, acquire deep understanding in religion. فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ لَمْ يَتَفَقَّهُ منكم في الدين For the one who does not acquire deep understanding in in religion is فَهُوَ أَعْرَابِي فهو, Then he is an A'rabi So what is an A'rabi? The Imams during the, holy, the time of the Holy Prophet وآله, The Holy Quran in fact uses this term right? قَالَتِ الْأَعْرَابُ أَوَ الْأَعْرَابُ أشد What does a'rabi mean? Does it mean the Arabs? Yes and no It doesn't mean the Arabs as a race or an ethnicity It means the people who dwell in the deserts, away from the cities, away from civilization, the nomads who have no access to knowledge. So they stay in a state of ignorance. And the issue is not that you don't know. The issue is that those people refuse, reject to learn when the knowledge would be sent to them. The Holy Prophet would send them Maseevs would send them letters and would send them some of his companions to go and teach them. And he would go to them in many different cases. Okay? So generally speaking, there's a huge difference in our religion when it talks about Al-Arab is different. They're the people who speak a certain language, a certain tongue, as the Quran says. in Arabian, Very different. So Arabi here, even in this verse, it's not Arab. Al-Arab are those who dwell in the deserts the nomads of the deserts, and they are usually not praised. They're not mentioned with any praise in the Holy Quran. They're people who reject knowledge, who want to live as the Arabs used to live. And that's the common point. That's why I said yes and no. This is how all of them lived until some of them accepted the truth, accepted Islam. And that's why we said from the beginning very clearly The difference between those two groups of people The ones who stayed the Arab They stayed as simple desert dwellers With their barbaric and very regressive culture And habits and so on and so forth The only difference between them and those who became Muslims Is knowledge And that's why we said from day one Islam equals a knowledge revolution The Holy Prophet took people and gave them knowledge. Those who accepted it became Muslims. Today it has to be the same thing. The one who wants to be a true Muslim, to live Islamically, has to accept the knowledge revolution. Islam starts from knowledge. And knowledge becomes action. If this is not happening, there is something broken in the chain. This, This is not full Islam. Okay, so inshallah this point is clear. So to go back to the hadith, that's why in the hadith the imam says, for the one who does not acquire the deep understanding of religion is an Arabi. And they know the people listening to the imam, they know the Quran. This is our sixth imam. This is 150 years or more after the revelation, right? So when the imam says this person is an Arabi, the people listening to the imam know. He's talking about the desert dwellers who reject truth and who reject knowledge and who rejected Islam. Okay. In Allah And then he recited the last, one of the last verses of Surah At-Tawbah. Okay. In Surah At-Tawbah, there is a verse, extremely important verse, perhaps one day we can spend a bit of time on it. It begins with, فَلَوْ لَا نَفَرَ مِن كُلِّ فِرْقَةٍ مِنْهُمْ طَائِفَةٌ لِيَتَفَقَّهُوا فِي الدِّينِ وَلِيُنْذِرُوا قَوْمَهُمْ إِذَا رَجَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَحْذَرُونَ In this verse, or these two verses, it's one verse in 122 Surah At-Tawbah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If were it not for the believers, or it is not for the believers, it is not becoming, it does not work, for all the believers to go forth. Go forth where? To leave their lives, basically, and go learn religion. So then what? This is the Qur'an telling them. So the Qur'an says, So should, why should not a party from each group go forth and gain understanding in religion, and then come back to warn their people the knowledge that they gained so that they may all become aware. So the Holy Quran is saying it is not possible for all the believers to come and become experts and scholars in religion, to acquire the deep understanding in religion. It's not realistic. And inshallah, we're going to talk a lot more about that later. When We're going to talk about the community. It's not realistic that everybody becomes a specialist with a deep understanding in every aspect of religion that takes dedication, it takes effort, it takes a long time and so on and so forth. So what does the Holy Quran suggest? What does Islam say? So why not? from amongst every large group, a few of them leave, they go forth na they go forth. why? So that they may seek the deep understanding in religion. So that they do what? So that they may go back to their people and they all become aware or warned. So that they all understand religion and they understand its teachings and so on and so forth. So the Imam quoted this verse. He said, فِي الدين So acquire deep understanding in religion. for the, For the ones who do not acquire deep understanding of religion are going to become or are going to be considered al arab They're going to be, he, he will be or she will be an A'rabi. Just like the people who rejected knowledge and who rejected Islam and continued to live away in the deserts. To live away in the desert alone is not the issue. The issue is you reject to learn the knowledge. You don't want to learn. Right? That's a ta'rab. We have a huge topic in fiqh. Is it okay to be disconnected entirely from the source of religion? Okay? That's a big fiqhi topic. Okay? And most scholars say, no, you're not allowed to put yourself in a situation where you no longer have any access to religious scholarship. If you're in that situation and you don't know what to do, you have no understanding of religion, you're not self sufficient. You're not supposed to put yourself in a situation where you're completely and entirely disconnected from the sources of religious knowledge. You have to have people, you have to have channels, you have to, in this world, you have the technology, it's easy. But before this was very difficult for someone to know, I am not self-sufficient, I don't know enough about my religion, and I'm going to put myself in a situation, go live far away, for instance, where I have access to no one and nothing. How are you supposed to live? Islamically You don't know And you openly say I don't know In that case you can't You have to find a way Either you go learn enough religion So that when you do that you're okay Or you ensure that there's someone with you You have access to Someone who can share that type of knowledge with you If you need it Okay So the imam says Otherwise if you don't seek that deep knowledge And deep understanding You will be in that category of Arab Okay, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تعالى يَقُولُ في كتابه. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and he recites this verse 122 surat at 9 122 for those who want to go back and read it carefully okay and in that verse very clearly there are a lot of teachings as we said inshallah one day we can spend a bit of time on it the verse is very clear not every human being can or should become an expert with deep understanding in every aspect of religion. It's not realistic to expect a community where you need people who are engineers and doctors and people who are specialists in all sorts of areas, and no one has any other specialty but religion. Right? So that's a whole topic too. Inshallah, we're going to talk about it a little bit later when we get to talking about the community. But all that said... The Holy Quran is saying, but this, is, this does not mean that no one learns. It is incumbent upon that community. It's obligatory upon that group that at least a few of them are sent to learn the religion and come back to guide their people, to teach their people. Right? So this is where you see the, yes, there is an obligation to learn. There is an obligation to teach. And this, at the end of the day, creates a well-functioning community where you have all the other types of expertise required, but you also have the religious one there with a respect, with an acceptance of all of these types of expertise. And this is, of course, not going to be a stable structure for a community that community at that time is going to be different 14 centuries ago than what we would need today. We have to sit and think, what is it that we need for a well-functioning community? The only component that we know for sure, based on this verse, is we, we know for a fact that within the community there has to be enough of an expertise in religion to guide religiously, to warn religiously, as the verse says. So we have to secure that part the rest we have to think about it. Usually, human beings have enough knowledge and enough experience in life to be able to figure that part out. It doesn't need to be spelled out, spelled out religiously to us. But that component, the religion makes very clear. Make sure that you have enough expertise in your religion to keep things going. Okay. The next ver, the next um, tradition or hadith also from Imam Sadiq السلام, very related to this one. He says, fi Be of those who acquire a deep understanding of God's religion. Wala ta-kunu and do not become a'rab." We explained who a'rab are. Man lam fi so this one is a much harsher tone for the one who does not Acquire a deep understanding in God's religion, God will not look at him on the day of judgment. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not praise, which means he will not accept any of his deeds on the afterlife. Okay, if you have a chance to seek knowledge, seek knowledge. Okay. The question that I would have here, and I think this is a a logical break, so I'm probably going to stop here. Maybe we finish with this question, rhetorical question. We have to think about the Holy Quran is not telling us in detail what the standard is. It doesn't say you have to learn A, B, and C, and D. It says in every community there, have, there has to be enough people to allow that community to become self sufficient religiously and to be a well functioning community. Because you have to have the other types of expertise. Otherwise, the Quran would have said, everyone go and learn and become an expert in religion. That's not what it's saying. Everyone has to have a minimum understanding of religion. And in a community, there has to be an expert. Or a source of expertise that secures for that community, generally speaking, its source of knowledge religiously. So the question becomes, is the standard that we accept or we accepted for ourselves, let's say 14 centuries ago, is it going to be the same at that time as it is today? It's a rhetorical question. We need to think about it. We need to think about it individually. What does that mean? And we need to think about it as communities. What does that mean? How do we structure our communities in the best way? So that we have well-functioning communities. How do we ensure that we are self-sufficient when it comes to our expertise and our knowledge in general? So we need to have A little bit of everything so that we are well functioning communities, and make sure that we have enough religious expertise, the one that the Quran is talking about here, the deep understanding of religion. Right? So, there is a question of standards. The standard for a community, let's say that was acceptable 300 years ago, would it work for today? Or has the world changed? Does the standard that we had 50 years ago, does it work for today? Does the standard for living as a community, let's say today, I don't know, in Morocco or Algeria or Turkey, is it going to be the same as a community living in Canada, for instance? Or is it going to be different? Okay, so I think this is where the discussion has to happen. This is where the thinking has to happen being strategic, being well thought out as a community. What do we do as a community? And maybe what we need to do here is going to be different than what they need to do in another city or in another country or in another time. Maybe our reality is different. Maybe our challenges are different. Right? And so this is where I think these types of hadith combined with, of course, I'm avoiding, I don't know if you guys notice how much I avoid the verses of the Qur'an, I, I sprinkle them here and there because I think they're so rich and they always require a very lengthy discussion and we usually don't have time. I already exceeded the time for today so I'm stopping. Okay, but the verses of the Qur'an combined with the many, many narrations that are much clearer and simpler and easier to understand. They require a lot less commentary. All of these are, I think, pointing in that direction. There is a, an individual component I have to think for myself when I read this verse 122 from Surah At-Tawbah chapter 9. When I read that verse, where do I find myself in that verse? Which group am I in? Am I the Arab just completely cut out from religion with no access to real sources of knowledge? Am I in the general community? who is happy to send another group forth to go learn and come back? Or am I the group that is being sent? Which means I have to learn and I have to become an expert, self-sufficient, so that when I come back to my community, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to share the knowledge. I'm ready to pick up the duties, the responsibilities that come with it. As the Quran says, They have to go back to their people. Okay, so this is where the community component is very important. You can't only think individually and say, I will learn, I will seek knowledge, and I will become the greatest expert Islam has ever seen in all the fields of Islam and other types of knowledge, and it stops here. This is not what the verses of the Qur'an say. Knowledge is important, and you want to save yourself individually. There's a huge merit in that, and we're going to spend a long time on it. But there's certainly a huge drive to think collectively. To understand your social duty As part of a community Where do you fall? You have to know You have to have some sort of plan You have to think about it at some point And then we need to think about The standards What standards do we expect for Our community? Individually, collectively All of us together What should this community look like? When do we say that this is a well-functioning community? How much knowledge do we have? How much knowledge should we have? What's the gap? How many people are enough? The Quran just says a few. A few. A few from every group. What is that? Is that one? Ten? Fifty? What does it represent? Perhaps the Quran left it ambiguous because it depends. There's going to be communities that require a lot more. If the single, the individual standard is very high, you don't need that much and that many people to come back as experts because there's a lot less work to do. If the general individual standard is very low, the average of the individual is very low in a community, there's a lot more work to be done. And most likely one or two or even 10 or 50 people are not going to be enough. You're going to need institutions. You're going to need organizations. You're going to need collective work, well thought out, well planned out. Right? So I, I'm just throwing all of that out there for, I know there's a lot of discussion and we often talk about community. I think that the, the link is very clear between what we're discussing, where we're trying to go. And we said the whole purpose of this entire section, yes, we started with becoming a learner because that's the first component in the equation. And we're going to need the teacher. And that's going to be a huge part of the equation too. But the end result is a well-functioning community. A community of knowledge. Where not everyone is an expert. That's not what the Holy Quran is talking about. But we can still call it a community of knowledge. A community that accepted the revolution that Islam came with. That everything we do has as its foundation knowledge. Okay, We move with knowledge. We are evidence based on knowledge knowledge. Inshallah, this is clear. We can build on that the next time we meet. So we finish this section. The next section we wanted to talk about is going to be, I think uh, this one was a little bit heavier, and we've gone heavy for a few times in a row now. So we'll bring it a little bit, I'm going to say lighter in the sense of being a bit more practical, a little bit more concrete, and go through some of the narrations that talk specifically about what I called some of the ingredients of Becoming a good learner in Islam, and so we'll talk about some of that. And that will include a bit of time management, that will include a bit of health, that will include a bit of other things that in our religion they're all linked to being a good learner. So, inshallah, we'll see how they are highlighted, and then we'll move on to the merits of the learner after that, inshallah. So happy to take a few minutes of questions, concerns, comments. Yeah, thank So to deal with the clear obligation on every Muslim to study knowledge, Uh, what I wanted to ask is, how is this obligation applied to the infallible, where we know that they essentially had all the knowledge that they needed to know? So were they essentially exempt from this? Okay, so it's a very technical question But a good one Uh, So the question is In case uh, it was not uh, clearly heard We established that In Islam There's an obligation It's incumbent upon every Muslim To seek knowledge So how does that apply to People who are infallible In short So there's a few things And I'll try to keep it short The first one So I'm not going to comment, and this way I'm going to keep it short. The first thing to understand about infallibles is that they are of very different levels. So no two infallibles are of the same level of knowledge. Which means what? Which also means that it is always possible for any infallible to gain more knowledge. And this is clearly stated in the Holy Quran and we see that in you know, their, their, their lives, their seerah, their, their biographies and the hadith are very clear too. The only difference, the only distinction is going to be, and even that I would say is arguable. The only distinction between the non-infallible and the infallible is going to be that the infallible is usually not looking for the type of knowledge we're looking for. We're always obsessed, limited, focused on what we call al-ilm al husuli Types of knowledge that we can acquire by listening to someone talk or reading a book, learning things by heart. The infallibles are not looking for that type of knowledge. The infallibles are looking for the other type of knowledge which we talked about a lot, When we talked about the virtuous cycle of knowledge. Knowledge must lead to action. You act based on that knowledge and you gain what? You gain new knowledge. This is what the Infallibles are constantly going through. Which means that their level of knowledge is constantly changing. There is another component to their knowledge. That's why I said it's arguable. Where they may learn through listening to someone talk. But the knowledge that they're getting is not the knowledge you and I would get. You and I might sit and hear the Holy Prophet speak, and Imam Ali sits beside, beside us and he would listen to the Holy Prophet speak you and I and Imam Ali are not going to get the same thing from the words of the Holy Prophet. This is what we see in the lives of the Prophets, we see in the stories of the Prophets in the Quran, this is very clear. And we see that in the narrations too. There are a lot of teaching and advice given from the Holy Prophet to Imam Ali not through the supernatural way not through some metaphysical, you know, non-natural way. The Holy Prophet would sit, I was going to go through some narrations today about that, where the Holy Prophet would sit alone with Imam Ali in a room, and he would talk to him. And he would tell him, listen to this and learn it. احفظ يا علي in حفظتها If you learn this and you act on it, then your life will be a praised life. So this is where we say this is a difference. Imam Ali jumps on that occasion and he goes and he does. But what he's getting out of it is certainly much more than I can get. And he's prepared himself for that. Okay, we we don't believe that any of the infallibles, I've talked about this in the past, if you take any of the infallibles and you remove the infallibility from them, let's say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen not to make someone like Imam Ali alayhi salam, an infallible. Would he just be a regular Joe, as they say? No. He would still be an exceptional human being. There is nothing normal about the infallibles. They would be exceptional by any human value, any human assessment, any human standard. And that's why we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses them for infallibility, chooses them for that type of work. And anyone who understands, you spend a little bit of time seeing the variance that we find in human beings. I mean, look at the geniuses that we have in the world. Whether you look at it, you know, look at athletics, look at memory, look at physical strength, look at uh, psychological prowess and depth and so on and so forth, emotional intelligence. No matter what category you look at, you will find truly exceptional people in the world. I think these are indications of what we would have if we had access to these, we could see, we could live with, witness these infallibles without minus the infallibility. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen not to make them infallibles, we would see these types of very exceptional traits. And that's why they are chosen for these divine missions. Okay? So the bottom line is there is a very big difference between the levels of knowledge of the infallibles. Two, the infallibles are constantly trying to get more knowledge. Three, the type of knowledge they're getting is not what we have called al-ilm al okay? Technically, that's what the, the term is. The type of knowledge that you simply get by you know learning, memorizing, hearing someone talk, reading a book. No they are seeking, and that's what they get, what we call the transformational knowledge. Or the knowledge by presence, or the knowledge by experience. And you have glimpses of that when, for instance, Musa alaihissalam was supposed to meet with al-Khadr, to learn from him. And that was the whole purpose of the meeting. هَلْ أَتَّبِعُكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُعَلِّمَنِي Will I follow you so that, or with the condition that, or for the purpose of you teaching me? That's the entire purpose. And it seems clear from the verses of the Quran that Musa salam almost had an appointment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him signs and told him where to go and what to do and at what time what would happen so that he would meet this person who has knowledge that Musa salam does not have. Or types of knowledge that Musa Alayhi salam does not have. So, to come back to your question, what about the infallibles? The infallibles are constantly growing in knowledge. The difference is the type of knowledge they have and the type of knowledge we have, we are fixated on you know, the amount of data we learn and how we learn it. And that's why we spend so much time on the real, the real type of knowledge, which we said is the transformational. It's how it affects your soul. Or in hadith al-Basri, Because we talked about Anwan al-Basri When Imam al-Sadiq says العلم نور يقذفه الله في قلب من يشاء من عباده ومن أحب من عباده Knowledge is a light That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Throws into the heart Of those of his servants That he loves or he likes This is what the infallibles are seeking This is also what we should be seeking And some of us may be But our way of accessing that usually goes through the material means first. And usually we stay stuck there. And we don't keep evolving. And we don't follow the the virtuous cycle. So that I act based on everything I know. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me a different kind of knowledge. That may still go through the material means of knowledge. I'm still learning my knowledge through reading a hadith and reading the verses of the Qur'an. But what I see from them is not the same as what I saw from them before. Because now I have insight. Because now I have the light in my heart that allows me to see more. This is what the infallibles have and what they're always seeking more of. And what we should be doing too. But as I said, we're usually fixated on the other type of knowledge. We stay stuck there. Very good question to follow. Uh, when I was talking, uh, I think it was Tapapu Sadim, so speak uh, deep, deep knowledge specifically in religion. Is he talking to the general PR uh, or specific people? Because we you know that um, we only need a few people in a community to go very deep in that type of knowledge. So when you said that Tapapapu Sadim, is he talking about So, what Imam Sadiq says, Tafakahu Fiddeen, is he talking about all of his followers or the specialists, let's say? The short answer is all of them. The difference is there has to be specialists, there has to be experts, but there has to be a minimum standard that everyone meets too. So, the duty to learn, the duty to educate yourself, the duty to learn some fiqh, some deep understanding of knowledge, that's for everyone. There are no exceptions to this. If you don't, you're not able to worship. And then the next level is you're not able to protect yourself from what's happening in the world. Which God do you believe in? What religion do you believe in? Why? You have to be able to answer that. This is where I say the standard changes. Maybe when you live in an environment where you're not constantly bombarded by you know questions about the existence of God and by nature you understand and you believe in God and everything in your culture and in your surroundings leads you to believe in God and there's no questioning about that, that does not really become a hot issue for you to spend more time on. You will not naturally have a tendency to have huge questions about that. But if you're in that kind of environment, I would say the standard changes dramatically regardless of whether you want to be a specialist or not. How are you going to protect yourself just when you go to school or you go to work and you're asked two, three questions. Why are you fasting? Why do you pray? What if I question that? Why are you wearing the hijab? I don't think you should. It existed at that time. It doesn't work for today. It's not applicable A, B, C, and D. Here's a book about it. Here's two documentaries I watched. And here's one more scholar who's questioning this and he's going on a world tour to talk about this. See, the... This is where I, I keep going back to what's the individual standard that we have to accept for ourselves. And this is going to be different for one person and another. We may live in the same community here and there. we will be exposed to some of the things that are common to both of us. But even within that, you're probably going to be exposed to things I'm not exposed to. Those are going to become very real. You need to deal with those. I don't need to. So you need to educate yourself quickly <laughs> And acquire some fiqh about certain things that I may not need to. I have my own issues that I have to deal with and I have to go and learn about. Okay, so is the imam talking to all of his followers? 100% he is. But from those followers, he also has the ones that he expects to become the specialists and the experts. And that's a whole other topic, but we see how the imam actually did that. The only difference is the expert has to have As a base, the minimum that they know about religion is much, much, much higher than the normal person. And if we look at how the imam raised and took care of his followers, we see that there were pretty much no scholars in the time of Imam Sadiq alayhi salam who were experts in everything. So each one of the big experts became an expert in two or three fields. Some of them became much more known for theology kalam and debates about God, about imamah, about prophethood and religion and so on and so forth. Others became much more expert in fiqh. Others became much more expert in Arabic language and grammar and uh, tafsir al-Qur'an and so on and so forth. And they're very well known. You go back to the life of Imam al-Baqir alayhi salam, Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, Imam al-Kadhim. They're very well known who these companions were and who they debated with. And Imam al-Sadiq established this himself. When they come, they would come to debate with him, from far away, he would say, I won't debate you. So and so will debate you. And they insist, I won't debate with you. He says, if you beat him, you have beaten me. This is the confidence that the Imam pumps into his students, but he's prepared them. And he knows that they're capable of this. At some point, there was one of the companions of the Imam who would sit in the pulpit In the mosque of the Holy Prophet in Medina, and the Imam asked another one of his companions not that there's anything wrong with this man, but the Imam asked another one of his companions to go and sit on that pulpit, not that other, not the first companion. And when he was asked, he said, Because so and so, when he flies, he flies low, and when the second one, when he flies, he flies so high, no one can come close. So I want him to sit. He's going to represent me there. And we know that this is the one who we can put all of our confidence behind. Because at that pulpit, all of the other madahib sat too. Right? So you don't want to be just good or good enough. You want to be the best by far. So the Imam says, I want so-and-so to go sit and talk on the pulpit. Okay? So this kind of expertise, it did exist. The imams basically taught us how to engineer that. They created basically fields of specialization within Islamic knowledge. okay. And they gave the tools, but all of them had all of the prerequisites and all of the minimal required, and you can always learn more. But then after that, what they needed at that time were specialists. And it's impossible for us to become specialists in everything. So, some of us may want to become specialists in field A and others in field B. Okay? And of course, the one who's a specialist in field A is going to have a different level of knowledge. Right? So, I'm trying to say not only is the Imam saying that yes, everyone has to acquire a minimal amount of knowledge, but we can expect the minimal amount of knowledge to be different from two people who are commoners, but even within the specialists, you are going to definitely have very different. Levels of knowledge too Especially when we start looking at Specialization and expertise And this is also something we need to keep in mind For our communities What are the types of specialties that we need Right All of them are good And all of them are respectable But we have to understand what is our need now Here This community specifically Which may be different from another city Or country Or century Right Kusal? Uh, oh, no? Let's no? say. Yeah. yeah. So a question that deserves a lecture, Um, but the question is, um, when we look at today's world, how do we really define a community uh, when it looks like the world is a much smaller place than it used to be and everyone is connected? And I may, for instance, learn from someone who's sitting halfway across the world and so on and so forth. When we compare that to how they lived, for instance, when the verse was being revealed and You know, we talked about community. In very short, yes, the world has changed tremendously, but not fundamentally in the uh, dimension that you mentioned. Today, because of the technology and because of other things, we feel a lot more connected to other human beings. And so, Space seems to have collapsed. So that things that looked like they were very far away are now very, very close. And things that took much longer to do are now happening in fractions of a second or a few seconds or a few minutes when they took days or weeks or months or years to happen. So there's definitely a lot of that. But when it comes to the notion of community, we introduced something in these lessons a little bit earlier when we talked about intentions We said one of the best ways to define a community is through the intentions that we have. You share the intentions with other people and this is going to create a community. And that's why we said, you go back to the Holy Quran and you look at the notions of community. There's a notion that is not limited by space and time all of the Prophets from Adam alayhi salam until the last one, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu all of them are going to be one community. And the good people who follow the Prophets throughout history and who will continue to follow the truth and the good until the end of history, all of those people are one community. By opposition, there's the other community, the ones who rejected the truth. The question then is going to become this is at the very high level at the you know bird's eye view if you were to look at all of humanity. But within that you are going to share things with some people that you don't share with others. So today you may share things for instance with someone sitting halfway across the world from you that you don't share with someone sitting right beside you. That is your community. How much do you share with someone and how relevant is it to how you think and how you live, your lifestyle, your ideology, your beliefs, your what you're going to do next, what you're not going to do next. That's your community. And in a lot of ways, this definition or this understanding of community is going to bring us back to how we understand community. Of course, you and I are going to share a lot of issues and a lot of realities, all of us sitting here today. Just by virtue of living together in this city, experiencing things that we experience in this city that anyone outside of the city does not experience. The things, I may share things with people sitting, you know, on the other side of this country. Okay, so that makes me a community with them, but less or in a different way than those who are here. Because I don't share those things with them. Maybe the issues that I face. Maybe some of them, I share 20% or 50% or 70% with them. But the ones we're sharing here, they're 100%. This is a different kind of community. This has its own needs. The other one exists and it has its own needs. And a huge part of where we're trying to go is to be able to prioritize. I live as part of a community. There are people everywhere in the world who need something. I form a community with all those people. The question is, how do I prioritize? What do I use to prioritize? That's the question. The question is not, are there communities? Yes, there are. It's very easy to find a way to define them. The more you share with certain people, the relevant dimensions of life, and therefore the issues that you're facing, the challenges you're facing, that's your community. And are there different levels of community, different dimensions of community? For sure there are. And as we said, some of them go beyond time. You're sharing a community as you read in the Ziyarah of Ashura or Ziyarah Tuarith. When you do the ziyara of Imam hussain you're telling him, I'm one community with you. And with those, I wish I was of those who were there with you. I'm one community with them. They are one community with me. Based on what? This is 13 centuries ago. Based on your intent. You are one community. You really believe that. So there are many different circles. In the past I've talked about concentric circles of communities. And ultimately, we share a community with all of humanity. The question is, How do you prioritize who you are? Where do you put your energy? Where do you invest your efforts? Based on which community? Where are the proximate needs to you? Where are the immediate needs to you? Where should you be putting your energy? Which community should be receiving the most energy and time and effort, dedication from you? From all of us, not you specifically. Okay? But... uh, yeah, the bigger question is, you know, that that's in theory. The bigger question is now really applying this and and drawing the the borders and saying this is how we're going to do it and what it means. Okay, but that's in general. These are the the principles. Yeah. Are there any questions on the sister side? No, we're good. Okay, so let's stop here. Wassalamualaikum